in July, we took a look at worship. And I've actually had several people since then tell me, I've been in church my whole life and I've never heard that passage preached. Uh, and you can listen to those online, by the way, at colonialhill.org. Similarly, we're talking about prayer today in a way that might be new for some of you. Today's talk is entitled Pray Big. And here's the question. What are you praying for big right now? The last week I challenged you to think big and, and we talked about Abram and Sarah and, and, and they, God calls Abram out of the tent and he goes, look up at the stars and count them. If indeed you can do so, so shall your offspring be. Just to think big and I want us to begin to pray big. We have a God, we serve a God who is so big. He breathes out stars as big as the sun and bigger. Nothing is impossible for him. So are you pushing back against the minutia of life and praying for anything significant right now. If you and I are not careful, we'll just go day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, relationship to relationship, consumed with the mediocrity, and never really ask the question, what am I praying for big? What would God wanna do through me besides where I'm working, and what's for lunch today, and can I make this deadline, and what are my plans this weekend? There has to be something more, right church? Now, this question forces us to look in the mirror and say, you know what? Honestly, I'm not. I'm not praying for anything big. I'm just trying to get to next weekend. I'm counting down the days until my next vacation. I'm trying to build my 401k. But in terms of big and, and God-sized and grand, I'm not really seeking that stuff. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 31. It says, so do not worry, saying, this is Jesus, by the way. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus is saying you're spending a lot of your time worrying about stuff that's probably gonna work out anyway. People who don't even know God, they're the ones asking for that kind of stuff. Why would you spend your prayer life consumed with minutia? Your heavenly father knows you need these things. You could be consumed with your day-to-day -day living or you could be consumed with God. According to verse 33, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he'll add all of that to us. So what are you praying for big? When you think about your prayers over the last week, over the last year even, are they filled with the trivial? Because I know a lot of prayers sound something like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day and uh, help us to have a good day tomorrow and uh, give us a safe travel to grandma's and help me get over this cold and bless this food. Amen. And that's not necessarily bad. But my guess is that with or without God's intervention, I'm probably going to have a decent day tomorrow. I'm probably gonna make it to grandma's house okay. I'm probably gonna get over that cold because I've been taking <laughs> cold medicine. And, and like those things are gonna come to fruition with or without that prayer, possibly. I mean, because people that are very far from God don't pray those prayers and they make it to grandma's. You know what I'm saying? They get over their colds. Isn't there something bigger that God wants to do through you? If you just asked him, what are you praying for big? Are your entire prayers consumed with little stuff or is there something that grips you that is so big that when you begin to pray, you say, God, if you don't, then it won't. 
Like if you don't come through, then this isn't happening. I completely need you. I'm dependent upon you to pull this off for me. Is there anything like that in your prayer life? Think about it this way. If God answered every single one of your prayers, if he answered every one of your prayers tomorrow, would it change the world or would it just change you? Would it even change you, really? What are you praying for big? Are we praying too small? Because at the end of our time together this morning, I want you to latch on something extraordinary and you just decide to be relentless. Just be relentless in that prayer until God responds in the way that you're asking him to. Do you have anything like that in your prayers right now? And by the way, God is not bothered by those prayers. God is honored by those prayers. Are you praying for things that honor God's size and magnitude and majesty? Or do you just spend time asking for things that are probably going to work out with or without his intervention? If you're family that prays together, my family prays together every night. And I want to pray prayers. Let me just say this. Parents, your prayers... The size of your prayers communicate the size of your God to your kids. Let me say that again. The size of your prayers communicate the size of your God to your kids. So if your prayers aren't big, if your prayers are, Lord, help us to have a safe trip to the beach and a good day at school tomorrow, I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong, but you're just making God much smaller than he really is. And we talked about last week that God is big. We've got to right size him. I want to pray prayers that when God doesn't come through for me, I have to defend him to my kids. That's the kind of prayers I want to pray. I want to pray prayers. I had a friend who had stage four cancer and the doctors told him he's terminal. There's no chance for recovery. And we began to pray and plead and beg God, heal this man, heal this man, heal this man. And he was healed completely and totally. And Zach and I celebrated that and we were high-fiving and God is good. And he was. And then some time passed and the cancer returned and we began to pray and plead and beg. And this time God didn't heal him on this earth. He healed him eternally. But, but I, I like those moments where I have to talk to my son and have those difficult conversations. I want to pray big. I don't even want to pray, Lord, if it's your will. I want to just pray. I mean, I know it is, it's got to be his will, but I want to, Lord, I, I want you to move. I want to be bold in those prayers. And I'd love for you to pray. I'd love to, for you to pray with that kind of tenacity. Luke 11 is such a bizarre chapter. Uh, this is one of the reasons, Luke 11 is one of the reasons I believe the Bible to be true. Because if I was making this whole thing up and I was writing this book, I would never put Luke 11 in here. And it's a, it's a passage about prayer that many of you have never probably studied. And we're going to look at it this morning. It's just, it's just odd. He could have put anything. If we're making it up, put anything else besides what he actually puts in this. You can't make this stuff up. Look at Luke 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples, which is just an interesting side point. So these men, they knew how to pray. In fact, these Jewish men, they, they grew up memorizing prayers. That was part of their upbringing as children. But they were praying and then they see Jesus praying and they go, that ain't like what we're doing. Teach us how to do that, Lord. And so Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. 
Some of you are going, that's not how it goes, Jesus. That, you said the Lord's Prayer wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, you learned the Matthew version. This is a different situation. Uh, and Jesus, by the way, didn't pray the same way every time. He didn't even repeat the Lord's Prayer in the same way every time. Jesus knew the point of prayer was not to say the same thing over and over again. The point of prayer is to tell God how good he is and then to tell God how dependent we are on him and then say amen. That's the point of prayer. And Jesus says, that's what you can say, but you asked me to teach you on prayer, so let me teach you about prayer. Look at this story. It's verse five. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have no food to offer him. So the disciples have to be thinking at this point, so we asked you about prayer, you're telling us a parable. When you tell us a parable, there's usually a lesson to be learned at the end. So we're all ears. And they also had to be thinking, there's no way we would get up to give this guy any bread. Because in their culture, back in the Middle East, in those times, um, all the men slept in one room and all of the women slept in one room if they had two rooms. If they only had one room, they all slept together in robes with blankets to keep them warm at night. And so if somebody knocked on the door and said, you know, suppose you have a friend at midnight saying, hey, give it, like if I get up, everybody gets up, okay? If you know, if you have kids, uh, you understand this. Like you put the kids to bed and you're like, right? Like I don't want to wake them because I've wake them up. Then it's all, so I'm not getting up. Somebody's knocking on my door in this culture. I'm not getting up to answer the door. There's no way I'm, that's what they're thinking. There's no way I would answer the door to get the bread because you ever been to like a church camp with kids or youth, youth, youth is the best because there'll be one guy who's really concerned with how he looks and so he'll get up at like 5 a.m. to hair dry that hair, you know, that you comb in his quaff and everybody's awake. Like, thanks, Bob. You just turn on the air, hair dry, 5 a.m., right? There's just always that one kid. It's kind of that environment where everybody's up when one person's up. So they're thinking there's no way that I would get up but look at verse seven. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now at this point, the disciples have to be going, okay. We've heard enough of these parables by now. We know that typically somebody in the story represents us and somebody in the story represents God. So we asked him about prayer. So the person that's asking for something, the person at the door asking for bread must be us. Which means that the person that represents God is the one who's asleep and says, don't bother me, I don't wanna get up. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a God that I wanna pray to, if I'm being honest. And some of you have felt that way before. You've prayed things and you've knocked on God's door and there was no answer. And it's been quite frustrating for you. Jesus presents God as someone who's asleep and doesn't want to be bothered by somebody whom he calls his friend, by the way. This is a friend of the man. He goes, I don't want to be bothered by you. Look at verse eight. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Isn't that interesting? So the guy who's representing God doesn't get up to meet the need of the guy because we're friends. But it's because you won't leave. 
It's his shameless audacity. It's his persistence. I get this picture of this guy going, hey, 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 I know you're in there. Hey, hey, I can see through the crack in the door. I know y'all, I see, I see you. I see you in the blanket. I'm not gonna leave. I need some bread. Hey, 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 hey. And he finally goes, "Ah, here's some bread. It wasn't because of friendship. It was because of his persistence and his endurance and his shameless audacity and his boldness, some of your translations say. Wake up the family. Oh, so turns on the light. All the kids are awake. Goes to the kitchen, gets some bread, finds their bread, goes to the door, unlocks the door, opens the door. Here, here's some bread. Good night. Shuts the door, locks the door, comes back in, turns off the lights. Everybody's awake now. All right? And I didn't do that because you're my friend. I did that because you wouldn't leave. You kept being bold and you had this shameless audacity is what scripture says. Now, maybe I'm interpreting that passage wrong. Maybe. But I want you to look at another passage seven chapters later. Luke 18. He tells another parable. This is Jesus again speaking. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So that's the story. Jesus is telling his brothers, this judge, and this lady's like, hey, hey, grant me justice. Hey, grant me justice. And he goes, leave me alone. <laughs> she's going to come attack me if I don't just give her what she's asking for. That's chapter uh, 18, verses 2 through 5. Look at the verse immediately preceding this, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. So that whole judge, so Jesus is this picture of this judge who doesn't want to grant justice, but he goes, all right, all right, leave me alone already. And he's also portrayed seven chapters before that as this guy who's asleep saying, just get off my porch. I'll give you some bread. And I keep reading this and I'm going, if I'm writing the Bible, if I'm just making this stuff up, and if I'm Luke, I'm going to write something a lot more palatable. Right? I'm sure the disciples are probably second-guessing themselves, saying, oh, I didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm mad that we asked him. Because, uh, you know, the, the prayers that we pray are a lot more tame and reverent and God-honoring. And you're, you're talking about begging and pleading and banging on doors as if God were reluctant to do anything at all. And Jesus says, yep, that's how it is. And then he interprets it first. Go back to chapter 11, verse 9. So I say to you, Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And that seems like the same thing, but what he's saying is, I want you just to keep coming to God and be relentless until he answers you. And if you look at the original language, it's almost like I'm just gonna ask, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna seek, I'm gonna seek, I'm gonna seek, I'm gonna seek, I'm gonna knock, I'm gonna knock, I'm gonna knock, I'm gonna knock until you answer my prayer request. It's just this relentless, shameless audacity, boldness. I'm just gonna keep asking until you move on my behalf because you're the only one that can do this, Lord. It's that kind of a boldness. And I didn't hear any prayers like that growing up. (laughs) But if you read the Old and New Testaments, 
Guys like Abraham and Moses and Isaiah, and man, they would pray things like, God, hey, you promised, and you better come through. You said that you'd, you'd do this, and I'm counting on you to do this. And God would say, oh, I'm so glad that you finally gave me a prayer that's worthy of me, that honors my size. I'm gonna grant you this prayer request. Thank you for calling on me, for petitioning me. But you read that. You read about these men. David did the same thing. They were bold and persistent. And didn't let the fact that God didn't immediately answer their prayer discourage them from leaving. So I want to show you a picture of a guy named Michael Morton. Some of you might know his story. So Michael Morton uh, was a guy from Austin, Texas. I've actually met Michael. Um, But Michael Morton, in 1986... It was his birthday, and he went to, went to dinner with his wife and his three-year-old son. They had a great dinner for his birthday. His son had just had heart surgery, and it was a successful surgery, so it was a really celebratory dinner. And they went home that night, and um, he had asked to be intimate with his wife, and she declined. And so the next morning, he was a supermarket manager. The next morning, he wrote a note to her and left it on her vanity, just expressing his um, displeasure with like... a. I wish that could have happened. It was my birthday. You know, like, (laughs) just put that on there. But then he ended it with, I love you. And he went to work. A little bit later that day, he gets a phone call at the supermarket that his wife had been sexually assaulted and murdered. And he comes home and it's just chaos. This is happening in Austin. And, uh, There was a lot of things that that didn't add up. Uh, The police found a bandana that had some DNA on it. Of course, they didn't have DNA testing in 86 like they they do today, but they found that. Um, They found uh, some neighbors who identified that there was a green van that was parked in the neighborhood several days out of the week, and there would be a man that would come out and go into the woods. Um, They interviewed the young boy. He was three years old, and he said, my daddy wasn't home. It was a monster. A monster did this. That was the only word he could come up with as a three-year-old boy. Her credit card was used in San Antonio on the same day while he was at work. So there were some things that didn't add up, but none of that stuff made it to trial. What ended up happening is the prosecuting attorney wanted a notch on her belt, or his belt, I really don't know. if it was. I think it was a woman, but I can't remember the story exactly. Anyway, one of the notch and just railroaded him, none of that evidence made it to court, and he gets put in prison for the murder of his wife. And they used the note that he wrote as the alibi. Well, this is why he did it. This is, or the motive, I'm sorry, the motive. This is why he did it. He was frustrated with his wife, and so he just came and took what he wanted, and he he killed her. And he sat in a prison cell for a long time. 2005, the Innocence Project picked up on Michael's story and said, something doesn't add up here. And so they took on his case. Now, let me back up a little bit. So every once in a while, I get, a, I get an opportunity to preach elsewhere. And one of the churches that, that has had me quite often is First Baptist Church Liberty City. It's in Kilgore, Texas. And at First Baptist Church Liberty City, I know everybody that's on staff at that church. And at that church is Michael's mama. She goes to that church. 
And you know how we have those connection cards in the pew backs in front of you? Well, she would take out one of those connection cards and she would write down a prayer request. And every single week from 1986 until he was released, she wrote down, please pray for justice for my son, Michael. She was the only one that believed him. His son, as his son got older, just thought, well, I guess my dad is that monster. And he began to believe his father and he actually changed his last name so that he wouldn't have his dad's Last name, he didn't want to be associated with his father. But his mother knew, my son didn't do that. Please pray for my son Michael's justice. 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 Please pray for my son. I want my son to be free. You can do this, Lord. You're the only one who can do this. I'm believing and receiving in Jesus' name. I'm gonna keep asking you. I'm gonna keep asking you till you come to the door. I need you to come through for me. So in 2011, they decided to pull out that bandana and do some DNA testing. And they found out that there was another gentleman whose blood was on the bandana with her blood. And it was a guy who was convicted and already serving a life sentence for doing the exact same thing two years later in Austin. What he did to her, he did to another woman. And he was already in the penitentiary. And so he gets released and he gets free. Come on, somebody. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But listen, listen to this. So in 2013, the Texas legislation enacted the Michael Morton Act, Senate Bill 1611, effective January 1st, 2014, that requires prosecutors to give the defense attorneys any evidence that is relevant to the defendant's guilt or innocence. Because they withheld some of that evidence that really would have set him free all those years earlier. But for 25 years, for 25 years, God, come on, I need you to give me justice. Give me justice. Please pray for my son Michael's justice. Please pray for my son Michael's justice. It was this, this shameless audacity, this pleading, this begging, God, I need you to come through for me. Listen, God is not bothered by your boldness or persistence. He's honored by it. And oftentimes he answers that kind of prayer. Look at Luke eleven ten. Oh, by the way, that was his mama. That was his mama. Pretty sweet picture. Luke eleven ten. for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. And you may have to ask for 25 days. You may have to ask for 25 months. It may be 25 years. You may have to knock and knock and knock and ask and ask and ask and seek and seek and seek, but God will come through for you. Everyone who asks receive. Everyone who seeks, some of you stop praying because you're like, I guess God doesn't want to do that. Maybe you just haven't been persistent enough. Keep asking. Are you praying like that? I don't think most Christians pray like that. And no wonder so little happens in our lives. No wonder so little happens in our churches. What are you praying for big? If it's not a what, is it a who? Could, could you pray for somebody? Who are you praying for? Your parents asked and sought and knocked and you didn't get better. You got worse. And they thought, what's happening? I've got this wayward child. What's happening with my son or daughter? But some of you are here today and you're in the faith because you had someone who loved you and understood this principle and they asked God for something they had no control over, which was your salvation. I got one amen. I know there's more than that. It happens all the time. It's as if God, if I'm understanding correctly, says, now that I know you're really getting serious, I'm going to get serious about this. Now I see your passion, I'm getting passionate about this as well. He's saying, I'm God, ask me something big. Ask me something worthy of my omnipotence. And you might have every reason to be discouraged and think God's not listening to you, but you say, God, I'm not going away. I'm going to keep asking until you come through for me. It's something I cannot do without you.
What are you gonna start praying for big? Don't spend another week seeking stuff that doesn't really matter or is gonna work out anyway. You know what I'm praying for big? I'm gonna give you just a, I'm gonna give you a sneak peek. Okay, I'll tell you this really soon, I promise, but there's some stuff that I'm praying for big. I'm just gonna tell you, because some of this stuff, you're gonna go, it's big. I'm praying we have 1,132 unique people in a service on a Sunday at Colonial Hill. It's one-tenth of our community. I'm believing that, yeah. Which means we're gonna have to have multiple services. We had, we had 625 on Easter, which was the biggest day we've had in the 21st century. That's almost double that, but that's what I'm believing. I'm, it's gonna happen because I'm gonna keep asking until it does. I'm believing that we're gonna have more people involved in small groups than we have coming to church on Sunday mornings. I believe that will happen as well, which means that we're doing really good outreach because we're reaching our neighbors because it's not just church people, but we got all people in the small groups. I'm believing this is not as big of a prayer, but it's a pretty big prayer if you know about church growth that 50% of our church would be a part of our dream team, would serve in some capacity. And you say 50%, that sounds doable. Well, most churches aren't even close to that, but I'm believing and receiving that 50%. So you saying, hey, put me on a team, I'm ready to start serving. You're actually answering the prayer that I've been lifting up to God. I'm believing, the, I'm, I'm believing, I'm believing that we're going to give away, give away $1 million to missions in one year. In one year, we're gonna give away a million dollars. And some of you are going, that's crazy. Our budget for the whole year for the whole church is in a million dollars. I know, and that doesn't intimidate me. I would love to give away a million dollars. Like we don't even need it. We wanna bless everybody else and see the kingdom of God advanced in so many other places because he's put us in charge of not only our Jerusalem, but our Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I would love to bless so many people. I'd love to give away a million dollars in one year time. I believe that can happen. I'm believing big things. These are big things, but I'm saying, God, I want you to move. I want you to do this. I'm gonna keep asking. I'm gonna keep seeking. I'm gonna keep knocking until you do these things. And that's just, let me just say that's the tip of the iceberg. I got more stuff underneath. I'm believing big things because we've got a big God, people. Pray big. Pray big. I want you to get behind and just have this big faith that we have a big God. Think big. Pray big. And I'm not saying you can't pray for the little stuff. Go ahead and pray for it, but also add something big. If you don't have anything, would you just pray that? Would you say, God, put a burden on my heart of something that I just, I, I, I grip with everything that is in me, that every part of my emotion, that when somebody says, anybody got a prayer request? You ever been in like a meeting like that? Any prayer request? You go, ooh, 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 ooh. You, like it, it's just, yeah. This is what I've been praying every day for the last three years. I'm praying for this to happen. It's gonna happen. Like it just moves you, it motivates you. Look at verses 11 through 13. This is, the, this is the climax of the sermon. You ready? Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everybody say more. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He goes, I want to give you more, but you just haven't been asking for it. And I don't want to get to heaven one day. And he goes, I had so much more in store for you, but you never asked me. Let's ask him, church. Let's think and pray big and watch God do some big things. 
And we'll give him all the glory when that happens. God's not annoyed by your persistence. He's moved by it. And I'll just tell you, this is going to change your view of God. Your world will get bigger and the things that you thought were bigger are going to get smaller. But I want us to pray big, church. Let's pray big. Here's what I want to do right now. There's some of you that would say, I, I would love to have, not, not, not that God is a genie in a bottle and that you rub his lamp and he does what you ask him to do, but he does love his kids and he is a father. 165 times in the New Testament alone, Jesus refers to God as a father figure. He goes, he's, he's, like, a, he's like a really good dad who wants to bless his kids. So let's ask him. But some of you would say, you know what? I don't, he's not my father. I don't have a relationship with him. And so I came to him. He'd go, you're asking? That's how I think about it in my mind. Listen, he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And so here's what I'd love to do. is I wanna, I'm going to lead you through a big prayer in just a moment where you might change your eternal course. Because the wages of our sin, of the things that we do, the mistakes that we make, the penalty for that is death. But God said, I'm not going to give you what your sins deserve. I'm going to give my son Jesus what your sins deserve instead. If you put your faith in him, you put your trust and your hope and your life in Jesus, then you don't have to die that death. We'll physically die, but you'll live eternally in heaven forever with him. That's a pretty cool deal. And I would love, love, love for somebody to make that decision this morning. And that's the first big prayer we're going to pray. And it's going to begin this, this communication with God where you're going to begin to pray things. You're going to see him move. I want you to pray really specific prayers. And just ask for things. And don't just say if it's your will. I used to pray that because it was like, a, it was like an, an out for me. You know, like, well, if it doesn't happen, it will when it was a will. Now I'm just like, God, do this. And I just keep asking and asking and asking and seeking and seeking. And I want you to begin to do that as well. But I love to pray with some of you. So here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for every head to bow and every eye to close. And the reason I do this is I don't want anybody looking around. I don't want you to be intimidated by the person to the left or right of you. This is between you and God alone. But if that's you and you say, Pastor Reed, count me in your prayer. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. You say, count me in that prayer. I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my Lord. I want a relationship with him so that I can go to God, my Father, and I know he'll, he'll hear me because I'm his son or daughter. I would love, 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 love to walk somebody through that prayer. So if that's you and you say, Reed, include me in your prayer. I wanna to come to faith today. Put my faith in Jesus. Begin a relationship with him. I want you to slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around. Just slip your hand up so I can see you. You know who I'm praying for. I see you. I see you. Awesome, 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 awesome. Let's pray together. Scripture says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So maybe you just pray this, whisper this, just mean it as the only real thing. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for the sins of the world. You were buried and you rose again, and you give me the ability to beat death too one day by putting my faith in you today. Come into my life Lead me, be the Lord of it. Forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future. And God, I pray that you would begin to answer my prayers. I wanna start a big faith today and begin praying big today to watch you continue to work in my life and thank you for the promise. Just thank him for the promise of salvation in this moment. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Come on, give a hand clap to all of those who put their faith in Christ today. That never gets old. The angels are kicking. Let me, let me, this is what the angels are doing. Y'all ready for this? They're doing this right here, right? That's what they're doing. Yeah, you didn't think big boy could jump, but I can, all right?